course, it is Memorial Day weekend, uh, but it's very much not like any other we've probably had in a very long time. Uh, this is the kind of weekend that many people would make plans to go away, uh, but because of what's going on, there really isn't anywhere to go, is there? Uh, in the, this kind of weekend at the church, uh, probably around this time, Monica would be walking out of the auditorium, uh, getting the kitchen ready as we would be having our Memorial Day potluck, whether it was here or over at the park. Uh, and tomorrow, we would probably be making plans to have people over and maybe go and watch a parade in North Platte. And almost all of those things have been taken away from us, although I've noticed that uh, there's still a, a few Memorial Day sales going on, so we at least have that. But because of the fact that it's a very different Memorial Day, uh, I wanted to take this series where I'm going to talk about men and women that God has used, and I want to talk to you about somebody you have likely never heard of. But if you're an adult and have some form of a, an elementary education, you would likely know the names of some of the people who are involved in this story. And I would even suspect if, if any high school freshman, probably from anywhere in the world, would at least know something about the situation we're going to talk about this morning, the situation that Henry Garricky found himself in. He would be addressed at that time as First Lieutenant Chaplain Henry Garricky. And in 1942, Towards the middle to the end of World War II, Henry Garricky received orders that he would later describe left him shook. You see, Henry Garricky had just been ordered to be the prison chaplain and pastor to the Nazi officers who were imprisoned at Nuremberg. In effect, Henry Garricky had been commanded to go and minister to monsters. Now, Romans 5 is really an extensive chapter on the topic of justification. Now, that shouldn't be a word that scares you. Justification simply means the process by which a person who is guilty finds themselves free of that guilt. Every religion, every philosophy has a teaching on justification. It's also something that if you're a parent this morning, you have likely talked about with your kids. You say, Pastor, I've never had that kind of conversation with my kids. Well, if you've ever looked at a child and said, her taking your toy doesn't justify you putting gum in her hair, you have had a conversation about justification. The idea you're saying to your child that just because she took your toy, that does not free you of the guilt of putting gum in her hair. And so it's actually quite a simple idea. Now, Romans 5, though, is, of course, going to explain to us the Christian worldview or the Christian teaching on justification. What does a Christian believe about how to move from guilt to pardon? And we find out not only does the Christian worldview present us an opportunity to be rid of our guilt and be free of it, it actually, we end up at the end of the process in a blessed, permanent relationship with God. And so I want to talk about that this morning. Three points for you. Number one, God's judgment and condemnation of sinners is right. God's judgment and condemnation of sinners is right. I want you to note the phrase in verse 18, by the offense of one. The author is speaking of the actions, of course, of Adam. 
The argument that's going to be made here in this text is entirely based on Adam being a literal historical person. And so the argument is this. Every single one of us here this morning, every single human being is a descendant of Adam. Adam was tempted and gave in to the temptation to go away that God had told him not to go and to use wisdom that God had not given. And as a result, Adam declared that he and all of his people, all of his kind, were now in rebellion against God. And God responded by saying Adam and his kind were now deserving of death. Now this continues to include us, of course, because we sin very similar to the way that Adam sinned. In the sense of God, for example, tells us not to lie. And we go our own way and we lie. Or God creates an elephant and instead of using God's wisdom and worshiping the God who created the elephant, we use our own wisdom and we worship the elephant. And so we sin very much the same way that Adam did. But the Bible goes further and says we are born into a state of animosity with God. Because we are descendants of Adam, we are born receiving the sentence that he received. For he declared all of us in rebellion. And so the Bible says in every way, both legally and morally, God judges us and condemns us to death. And the Bible says at the end of day, when, everybody's, when all of this is wrapped up and everybody is together, the Bible says that not a single human being will object to that judgment. Now, long before Henry Garricky found himself ministering to monsters, he was very familiar with the idea of sin and death. You see, Henry Garricky grew up in a very strict Lutheran church that talked all about the sinfulness of people. His conversion came under the ministry of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday's ministry is still so effective that today it reverberates in fact that there are dry counties in Pennsylvania, Missouri, and Michigan, places where alcohol cannot be served, in response to revival meetings that he had there. But Henry Garricky heard Billy Sunday preach and was converted to Christ, and he heard Billy Sunday preach again and found himself called to ministry. Now, in Henry Garricky's day, uh, if you were going to go into the Lutheran pastorate, you would go to a Lutheran high school. And so he enrolled in St. John's Preparatory School, a place that controlled his life entirely. He also had teachers there who would tell him that basically any earthly pleasure was a form of worldliness and sin. Now, Garricky would later admit that there were things on his list that he would have called sin at that time that were not sin. And he would admit that because he had a list like that, there were things that really were sin that were left neglected. Well, he became an ordained minister in what today is known as the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. But he found himself quickly bored with pastoring a church. I don't understand that at all. But he decided he wanted to do something more with his life. So he decided he was going to minister to the poor and destitute of St. Louis. And over the years, he accomplished a great many things. He got married. He had children. He had a wonderful family. He had wonderful friends. He was living a wonderful life. And I describe it that way because Henry Garricky did not sign up to be a chaplain in the military until he was 49. 
In fact, he was two months away from turning 50. So in the middle of World War II, this almost 50-year-old man decided, I think I might be able to help. And then not too many months later, he found himself face to face with the darkest reality of sin. You see, this time, though, it wasn't alcoholics or drug addicts. It wasn't thieves. This wasn't debates anymore about whether or not women should wear pants or if denim was of the devil or if jazz music was appropriate. He was staring face to face with somebody like Wilhelm Keitel, Hitler's second uh, right-hand man, who had actually tortured people, who had dared dissent against Hitler. And he was there to minister against, uh, with uh, a minister to men by, like Hermann Goring, who had helped organize the Gestapo that had killed and robbed Jews in Germany. The man who was the head of the Luftwaffe, who had made the decision to bomb citizens and was responsible for the deaths of thousands of French and British. Nobody in the world denied the fact that these men were deserving of death. That leads me to point number two, and that is this. There is grace to pardon the worst of us. There is grace to pardon the worst of us. Again, come back to verse 18, and let's include verse 19. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of the one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So, it starts out, again, reviewing that Adam uh, disobeyed, and Adam is responsible for plunging us into this rebellion and this judgment of God of certain eternal death. But then it turns its attention to Jesus, who lived the perfect life. He was completely obedient. And it explains to us that now, today, just like we are born into Adam's guilt... We can, by faith, be born into Christ's perfections. An amazing reality. But the text goes on to explain, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered. I want to explain what the, the text means by that. The idea is not that the law of Moses arrived and suddenly everybody was aware of sin. We know, for example, that there were certain societies that, that long before the law of Moses arrived already condemned Murder, like the Code of Hammurabi, it outlawed murder and also had a designated punishment for murder. So the idea is not that the law arrived and suddenly there was an awareness or an increase in sin. The idea is that if you think about it, if, if morality is confined to just not killing anybody, I would suggest that most of us this morning are safe. Most of us. You'll get that later. But the point is, we would think, oh, well, condemnation, guilt, it's confined to a very small group of people. But when the law enters, we find out that it is wrong or it is evil, it is sinful to give hateful words. It's sinful to, to covet our neighbor's wife. It's sinful to dishonor our parents. And as we go through the list, we find out the sin is not confined to a handful of people in history. Sin is what? Everywhere. That it is permeated. It is vast. Yet what does the text say? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
so that sin might be the overwhelming reality of the human condition. There is now grace because of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that provides a grace that is bigger. So so the sinner, no matter what the sin is and how much they have sinned, by grace, there is now an opportunity to have the justification to move from guilt to pardon. To have the justification for your life to be spared. Now, Henry Garricky arrived in Nuremberg where the trials had already started. And was told upon his arrival that first Sunday he would begin preaching in the prison chapel. Which meant that the men who came into that chapel were men who were currently on trial for crimes against humanity. And these were men who were guilty of committing some of the most horrendous crimes in modern human history. And here was a preacher from St. Louis charged with trying to give an impression for the gospel on the disciples of Adolf Hitler. Now the thing is, before he ever arrived in Nuremberg, Henry Gericke had been a part of an army detachment that had participated in the liberation of one of the concentration camps. And after the prisoners had been moved out, Henry Gericke talks about how he went up to one of the buildings and he put his hand on it. And when he brought his hand away, it was covered in blood. He was very familiar with the responsibility or the the terrors that these men had committed. And so before that first Sunday, he said he prayed that God would keep him from any sense of pride and determined that his very first sermon to these men was going to be to convince them that they ought to fear the judgment of God far more than the judgment of the allied courts. And he struggled. Admittedly, he struggled. How do you preach grace? To these kind of men. But he did it. And he did it faithfully. In hopes that these were men. Who would would at least admit. That there were not enough good works. In all the world. That could cover up what they had done. Now while ministering to these Nazi officers. He also had the opportunity to pastor a little church. On the west side of Nuremberg. Now there was a 500 year old church. That had just been bombed to pieces. He talks about the fact that you could see the sky. During the services. Now, this church was filled with army officers, American army officers, who were all stationed there because of the trials. And he preached grace to them, too, because he believed that there was grace enough for these American officers and grace enough for these Nazi officers. And that leads me to point number three. Through Christ, there is life instead of death. Through Christ, there is life instead of death. Come to verse 21, we see a sum total of everything that is said in this chapter. It starts with Adam's sin. It brings death, not just physical death, but eternal death via separation from God. We're reminded the law of Moses. It didn't bring death, death, but it magnified the existence of sin, making it clear that God's judgment and condemnation, his declaration of death, was the right call. But the point of this text, is not original sin. The point of this text is not to dive deep into human depravity. The point of this text is justification. And so the question remains, how does a person, in the Christian review, how does a person move from being guilty to finding themselves free of that guilt? And in fact, how do we know, or how do we, uh, what does the Bible teach 
about not only being free of that guilt, but finding ourselves in this blessed, permanent relationship with God. Well, one of the the other ministries of the law of Moses is to show the human race that there are not enough good deeds to cause justification. That if you try to use doing good deeds, helping people in, in wonderful ways even, if you try to use that as justification, all you're going to find is death. In another place in the Bible, it says not even religious practices can justify. And so if you're going to beat yourself or cut yourself in trying to say how sorry you are, if you're going to pray hours a day and sing hours a day and teach classes, and you're going to try to use that as justification, all you're going to find is death. For sin hath reigned to death. The only solution this text tells us, the only thing that overwhelms the exceedingly sinfulness of sin, is grace. Only by grace, through faith in Christ, do we find that pardon. Do we find justification? Do we find life? Now, as the trials went on, Henry Garricky would have every type of conversation with these Nazi officers. But of course when many of them were condemned to die by hanging, many of those conversations became became quite serious. It was Garricky's hope that the fact that these men were now in prison cells that looked out to windows where they could hear the, the gallows being raised, that perhaps now they would be far more receptive to hearing what he had to say. But men like Hermann Goring who at one point was a heartbeat away from being the most powerful man in Europe, a man responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands of people, who had done great, torturous, and evil things without consequence. Even in the shadow of the gallows, he saw himself as a hero of Germany. He said to Garricky, while there may have been collateral damage, everything he did, he did for the good of the German people. That was his way of saying to Garricky, he was in no need of grace. He was a good person. And that belief was so deep in Hermann Goring that he refused to let the Allies execute him for crimes he didn't think he had committed, but instead found a way to kill himself. But Wilhelm Keitel was a different story. Through his career in Nazi Germany, he had never been liked by his peers. He was one of the handful who tried to defend themselves at Nuremberg by saying he was simply following orders. But he too was convicted of crimes against humanity and sentenced to death by hanging. And over the course of Henry Gericke's conversations with Wilhelm, he grew far more interested in understanding the gospel, asking for books and literature to explain to him the grace of God and justification through faith in Christ. Wilhelm even made a profession of faith to to Chaplain Garricky, but Garricky didn't respond to it. He didn't affirm it. He wanted to wait. And many, many more conversations followed, and Garricky finally allowed Wilhelm to take communion. And on that special Sunday, this notorious Nazi officer wept. Where sin had abounded, grace abounded much more. A man associated with so much death was now a partaker of eternal life. Now before and after his brief time ministering to men 
that would be considered the worst examples of human history. Henry Garrick, he did serve faithfully as a pastor. He did a great number of different works, as I've already mentioned. And everywhere he went, he would talk about the reality that God was right to punish sin. And he would talk about the amazing grace that you could have by faith in Christ. And he preached these things to the poorest people and some of the most dangerous criminals in St. Louis. And in 1961, when he died, many of the St. Louis poor showed up to pay their respects. And over 800 inmates within the St. Louis prison system paid their respects to a man they counted as their only friend. The world thinks it's harsh for the Christian to talk about sin and death and hell. And most people today think it's only men like those Nazi officers that even deserve condemnation from God. But as I've already mentioned, the Bible says there's going to come a day when nobody's going to disagree with that statement. And on that same day, we are, if you're a Christian, if we are in Christ, we will rejoice. We'll give praise to God the Father. We'll praise the Lamb who was slain, Jesus, because instead of the death we deserve, as descendants of Adam, we will have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this message, for the reminder of justification. And we thank you for a life that we can put forth as an example and an understanding, Father, of grace. And where sin abounded, that grace can abound much more, not only then, but today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.